Week two was truly epic. I, I don't want to sound cliche, but this is why we watch. Like, this is why we watch NFL football every single week. John Daigle, two words. Give it to me. How you feeling? I'm tired. Am I allowed to use? <laughs> no, that's, that's your two words, Hayden Winks. <laughs> am am I you. allowed to use a, a comma in that? Uh, wow, what a day. I, I, I got a lot wrong. Um, I got a, I got some right. Uh, lots to discuss on this show. Just I feel like this week was so much more impactful and knowledgeable than week one. So much more. Hayden? I'd say injuries matter. Some oh, of the matchups. Like, let, let out some energy. Some I mean, excitement. we're going to talk about Tua and the Ravens. And Tua threw for six touchdowns with the Ravens having zero corners. So I think we should probably start there as a story of the day. But let's start there. I, I don't necessarily love to start with the games that I covered today. We're going to do our instant reactions for the nine games that we covered as a group. Three for each. And we do have to. We do have to kick it off with the Dolphins at the Ravens. A, a truly phenomenal performance from start to finish here on, on both sides of the ball. I mean, it's 42 to 38 is the final score. And it truly had everything. An opening kickoff return by Devin Duvernay, a 74-yard, 75-yard touchdown by Rashad Bateman, a 79-yard touchdown run by Lamar Jackson on the ground. Jalen Waddle saw 19 targets. Tyreek Hill hit 190 receiving yards despite leaving for about half a quarter. And Tua Tungavailoa completed four of five of his attempts of 20-plus yards down the field, including three touchdowns. Um, I could go on and on and on about so many segments of this game, and I'm sure we'll hit on a bunch of them. But in the end, the Ravens simply got too confident. They were up 28-7 to at halftime, 28-7 to at halftime, and the Dolphins could have easily crawled into their shell and given up. But they simply did not. I mean, they had one stop on four straight plays from the one-yard line that stopped this Ravens offense. That was in the second quarter. They had another occasion in the third quarter that they were stuffed the Ravens on fourth and one and the Lamar Jackson rush with nine minutes to go on their own 40-yard line when the score was 35-28. to 28. So you put all of that together, a 28-point fourth quarter by the Miami Dolphins. And we are here with, again, Tua Tungavailoa. 36 of 50, 469 yards, six touchdowns, and two interceptions, over a thousand yards of total offense combined between these two teams. It was insane. I think my first biggest takeaway take is this is the second week in a row where the Dolphins haven't been as run heavy as most of the Shanahan disciples. To drop back 50, 50 times, obviously they're trailing that. It's going to impact this, but the running backs only combined for 16 carries this entire game. Too. So if you're going to get more passing than expected, Tua can get there as an upside quarterback too. And obviously we've, we've been ranking Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle as top 20 uh, wide receivers, especially against the Ravens banged up secondary. The McDaniels offense is in full effect just seeing that Tua had a seven and a half yard depth of target, but finishes with nine and a half yards per attempt on the game. Uh, something that was really interesting that came out of McDaniels presser last week, I thought, was he discussed, he says a lot of interesting things, honestly, but one thing he discussed was how they taught Jalen Waddle from day one to not believe that his momentum carries into himself towards the sideline. To literally, every time you catch the ball, and they had to work with him intently, they said, throw your hips upfield and take that momentum up and get us yards after the catch. That's what happened in the first half touchdown in week one, and then I think we saw that just more and more today as well, as they're continuing this offense to learn how to get the most they can out of these dump-off plays, essentially, in crossing routes. I think it was more than dump-offs. They did have some That's of fair, those. yeah. And 
I want to outline this because I was really harsh on Tua last week, even in a victory, because I thought he left a lot of plays and a lot of yards he on did. the field. He did. And, and that is fact. Um, now, I am not above when he has a good game and good moments in contests saying, hey, he was outstanding. He was excellent here. He was very good. And that's what happened multiple times in this game. I mean, he was poised. He hit there where weaknesses were on the opposite side. He beat the blitz when he needed to. He was accurate for a lot of yards after catch opportunities. Um, I'm going to tell you when in the first two quarters, and especially in the second, when he threw this interception to Marcus Williams along the outside to give the Ravens a chance to go up an extra touchdown with a minute and 20 seconds left, I'm going to tell you that awareness was shit. I'm going to tell you that throw was awful. But I'm also going to say in the second half, when the Ravens decide to send extra people, he stayed poised. He evaded a pass rush. He created a little bit on his own near the goal line to have been no to have a River Craycraft score a touchdown to make it thirty-five to twenty-one. And when there were miscommunications in the back half, over and over and over again for this Ravens secondary, a Ravens secondary that we know was incredibly depleted heading into this contest. It sounded like Marcus Williams suffered a pretty significant injury in the final segments of this game. A Ravens defensive back group that traveled a total, according to Next Gen Stats, of 6,131 yards today on pass plays alone, which wow. sets a record dating back to the start of the 2021 season. They were gassed. They were mentally blown. And Tua took advantage, man. Like, again, he was five for six, I believe, or four for five on deep shots in this game. And he did it. I mean, it, 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 it was a perfect performance from what you want from him. And I give it all from Mike McDaniel, too, to when things weren't working, to create the advantages, to get these motions, to get these sprint guys up to speed already. And Daigle, you outlined it so well. It's not like the dot was crazy. It was, what, 7.6 yards, and it's because they continued to thrive in the short to intermediate game, and when there were deep shots to take, they took them in this contest. I think I saw next-gen stats have Tyreek Hill with four yards of separation on average on his targets, which is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, other big note from this game for fantasy is Raheem Mostert plays over Chase Edmonds. Chase Edmonds had a really bad game to start the season. Wasn't even playing the two-minute drill last week. He is the number two, I guess, right now. Raheem Mostert out-touches in this game. There's a lot of opportunity for Chase Edmonds to catch some passes in this game. If it's not going to happen this week, I don't know when it will. Like we said, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Walter are going to absorb at least 50% of the target share in this offense. And if the Dolphins are going to be blitz-heavy and they have an injured secondary and the Ravens are going to do the same thing, that's what happens in these type of games. Just a couple more moments. There was a great pass from Tua. It was, I think, on like a third and 13 that he threaded to Mike Gesicki in the back of the end zone, threw it to only where Gesicki could get it. And actually, since we only have the dots for right now, want to highlight at least one of these plays that Tua hit deep to Tyree Kill. The second one was a complete blown coverage that went for 60 yards. But this one for 48, if, we can, if you can see... Obviously, the, the Ravens overload on one side of the field. It basically turns into cover three here with 44, 14, and 24 in the deeper portions. And then he just lobs it directly over Kyle Hamilton's head. Rookie, target him. Safety. And <laughs> get a score. score. Like, just what? not even in the correct position entirely. Now, I spent so much time in the Miami Dolphins that I think it's worth talking about the Baltimore Ravens because they were fantastic in this game, too. I mean, I, I talked about it from a special team standpoint, from an offense standpoint. 
Like you go and score that opening kickoff with Devin Duvernay. You come right back after the Dolphins respond and uh, get a 75-yard touchdown for Rashad Bateman, who absolutely cooks Xavier Howard on a simple slant over the middle and takes it to the house. And then you see the magic from Lamar Jackson. It really did come down to those two fourth-down conversions that they couldn't make. Mike Davis came in on four straight one-yard carries. And the final one, uh, they simply could not get it. And then in another occasion, Lamar tries to sneak it on a power rush and he can't convert either. Harbaugh is going to be aggressive. It simply didn't work in this game. And again, chipping away and then creating the big plays at the end, the Dolphins were able to uh, to bounce back and take it away from them. It's scary how similar this is. I mean, the secondary is depleted. The running backs depleted. The uh, offensive line still getting back to full health too. So it's like very similar. And that's what's going to lead to these huge Lamar Jackson games. Rashad Bateman looked great. I think on that uh, Xavier Howard long uh, play, that was uh, the fastest next-gen stats miles per hour of the season. So Rashad Bateman's legit. And obviously yes. Mark Andrews cooks uh, for 9, 104-1. And, and it's exactly it all- what we talked about with Bateman, by the way. I mean, it was the backside wide receiver and just isolation and and him winning. And then we saw more of the you know stack stuff with Mark Andrews. Isaiah Likely got a little bit involved. I mean, Andrews even had 9 for 104-1. and one. Isaiah Likely went 4 for 43 did want to talk about this backfield because there were points where Kenyon Drake was crap. Mike Davis sucked. And so just justice Hill got a little bit of run, but they're all, they're all pretty bad. They're all pretty bad. Um, and so it's a pass first team right now and they did their job. They put up 38 points. Well, really 31 and, uh, even got two turnovers. Just credit to Mike McDaniel to, uh, Tyreek and Jalen Waddle. Insane. Also reassuring for Lamar Jackson, who, quote-unquote, only as much as we tout him as a strong top three, top four, top five option, he only has four games of 30-plus fantasy points the past two years. This was his fifth in this one, so reassuring. Also, I was down on this offense because of the offensive line injuries, but also of what they showed in week one. And then also we saw this matchup against Josh Boyer last year in which Lamar was blitzed on 60% of his dropbacks and came away with six yards per attempt. They did it again. In the first half alone, he was blitzed on 16 of his 17 dropbacks. And then at the end of the game even, was pressured only 24% total of his dropbacks and wasn't sacked a single time. Like how commendable this offense overall performed. Yep. And I just want to give one more here on the Dolphins. This is the final play. If you can see... Five sits. He's a rookie. Yeah. I think Armor Davis. And then there's no one on this side of the field. Like, who knows if both 14 and 32 are supposed to be taking Jalen Waddle here, but it's just wide open. And he walks in, does the peace sign, Tyreek Hill does. And that's the score. Quickly, I know you mentioned this, Hayden. I did want to talk about the running back situation for the Dolphins because last week, as we talked about, Chase Edmonds on a per carry basis had the leets the least yards uh, over expectation in the league. Like he basically didn't pick up the yards that were blocked for them. This isn't an injury to chase Edmonds. He was just flat out benched. It was from the first carry. It was throughout the entire contest where he most ran, ran well, and was in there for passing down snaps too. So he had, you know, 14 touches in comparison to just the six for, for chase Edmonds. And I wouldn't, I don't see a reason why that that would change moving forward. Yeah. I'm not going to rank either of them as top 30 running backs next week. Uh, Okay. Still, still encouraging to see a career high. It's only 14 games, but a career high in receiving yards for Rashad Bateman as well today. Okay. That game down. Let's now jump to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the New Orleans Saints, a contest that was riddled with injuries on both sides. But in the end, Tampa Bay comes out 20 to 10. 
Hayden Winks, is this your game? Both teams were tilting, like really, really hard. I would say specifically the Bucks were tilting uh, through the first three quarters. They opened up with 15 passes versus 14 runs on first and second down. That is not the old uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I think a lot of this is going to come back to Todd Bowles, just a philosophy change over there. The offensive line was sloppy. Tom Brady had a couple sloppy plays, but at the end, he comes through with a beautiful pass in the corner of the end zone for a touchdown. Uh, the big storyline here, obviously, Mike Evans versus uh, Marshawn Lattimore. They get in a fight. Uh, Mike Evans is just basically taking Tom Brady's back. Uh, since he was coming from the sideline, there's like some suspension risk for next week, but we'll see if they actually uh, are going to do that. But for the most part, the Bucks' offense just did not look very good. They tried to run the ball way too much, in my opinion. Uh, and they just couldn't go anywhere behind this bad offensive line right now. Super injured. Donovan Smith, their left tackle didn't play, and the Saints front four uh, definitely came out to play. Okay, and, so go ahead. In week one, this is always my concern, is that the Bucks, I wasn't sure if it was because of how bad the Cowboys were that forced the Bucks' hand to play like that on offense, or if it's a change of identity, given that the last two years we know Tom Brady averaged 42 attempts per game, but in week one, a 41% pass play rate neutral game script. And then even in this game, we got Brady's 36 pass attempts to 27 running back carries. Like, this is arguably not the same offense. This is a run-power offense with Leonard Fournette leading the way. I agree. It's sad. Wasn't there a case on first downs? The first down run rate was absolutely in. Yeah, like, it's like 50-50. It's oh like 50-50. Great. So yeah. can we attribute this, though, to the injuries that we saw with Chris Godwin and so. Julio Jones? That's at least part of it. Yeah, there was a couple times where Scotty Miller just couldn't come down a catch, was tightly covered, and Tom Brady was freaking out. Tom Brady also had an exchange. There was at one point he had kind of a little finger injury, but at the end of the game, he's dropping too many dimes. I think that's actually an issue. Um, I just think it's like the offensive line a little bit. Yeah. But they, they were, like they were down Donovan Aaron. Smith, obviously. Yeah. And their entire interior line. And I think got to give some credit to the Saints. Obviously, that matchup historically has gone so well in the Saints' direction. Uh, Saints offensively did not look good at all. Jameis Winston's playing through uh, fractured back right now. I didn't see anything on tape to make me think that he was like limited by that. He was able to scramble around a little bit, took some hits. Never really, never really came out of the game. A couple Taysom Hill wildcat plays. But really, the story of the, the game for the Saints on offense was – Chris Olave, deep targets. I can at least five or six of them. I think uh, uh, Ian uh, from PFF has said that there was like 324 air yards, but none of them were were coming down for Chris Olave. He drew like a long defensive pass interference. Uh, then he actually caught one and then he fumbles it. So there's a lot of these empty uh, targets downfield. More prayer yard. Shout out to John Daigle for those. Um, but those weren't working. And Mark Ingram, Tony Jones were rotating and there was just never a uh, a down by down consistency here because Jameis was big play hunting and none of them were coming down. We also got the fourth quarter Michael Thomas getting their touchdown yet again. Was this again for the second week in a row in offense that looked like nothing we want a part of for three quarters and then basically just played catch up in the final 15 minutes? Yeah, I mean, I, I I would say that's pretty fair. Uh, Michael Thomas looked all right to me. There's one play near the sideline, gets his toes in, then obviously has that garbage time touchdown. I think they're just starting to get a feel for what this offense is. Chris Olave, I thought, played well. It was open by himself. Jarvis Landry and Michael Thomas both played well last week. So I think eventually they'll get this offense cooking a little bit. Um, but like you said, they, the, off, the, the run game just wasn't really there. And then he's just taking deep shots. And when those don't get completed, that's just kind of how it goes. Yeah, I mean, just 188 yards and a score for Tom Brady and that 
toss was a 28 yarder to Brashad Perryman, which had so much zip on it. Even in a dynamic where we should expect an injured Russell Gage to hopefully command some targets. He did have six Nothing. targets, five receptions for 28 yards. It's rough out here, man. I mean, this was the quarterback three last season. We kind of outlined why the pathway so far, he hasn't been close to that. But I don't know if it's going to get any better for this team. Like the offensive line injuries are continuing, if not adding up each and every week. And now the wide receiver injuries are stacking up as well. And I mean, Leonard Fournette goes out there and gets 26 touches, but just for a total of 74 yards. Yeah, couldn't go anywhere. My my last note is Mike Evans was clearly battling through some type of injury. He seems like he always is. Uh, leaves the game because of um, getting tossed out of it. But before that was kind of like battling through something. So we'll see if how much he practices this next week. Saw that Rashad White had two drops as well on just nine yes. total snaps. Uh, yeah. Again, that gap is not closing between Rashad White and Leonard Fournette right, right now. According to Nate Yonke. Yonke? How do we say this, Daigle? I believe it's Yonke. Okay. Leonard Fournette had 58 snaps. Rashad White had nine total snaps. Yep. And if we look at routes after Mike Evans got kicked off, Rashad Perryman had 50 and Russell Gage had, uh, had 44. And as you outlined, Hayden, Chris Olave, 13 targets by far and away leads the, uh, leads the New Orleans Saints. Anything on Taysom Hill since he was a popular pickup here on the waiver wires this past weekend when people, I, yeah. I don't think understood that he had all of his wildcat plays from last week and it wasn't real tight in usage. Yeah, there was there was a couple of those wildcat plays, but just didn't really matter. They weren't by the goal line enough for it to matter. I will say, if Alvin Kamara does miss another game, the running back rotation for the Saints: Mark Ingram on early downs, Tony Jones on passing downs. Mark Ingram would have got the goal line carries if there were some. They just never got down there for for it to matter. Seahawks at 49ers, John Daigle. 49ers at the end of this win, twenty-seven to seven, convincingly, but most notably, Trey Lance out of this contest, broken ankle having surgery, will miss the rest of the season. I mean, it goes from a 49ers team that was learning on the fly after that week one of what they were going to expect from Trey Lance this season, the ups and downs of it, to changing the narrative, I think, of their entire season, not necessarily from a success standpoint, but really the purpose of it this year, from learning what they have in their young quarterback to now going back to the player, Daigle, who they kicked out of training camp and then brought back on the final day. It's also to me, I guess wild is the word I use that, that Kyle Shanahan will never bury Jimmy Garoppolo, no matter the situation he's in with a young rookie quarterback. And then like has no issues going straight to the podium and saying, Nope, Trey Lance is done out for the year. We're not worried about it. Just like, he just always tries to help out Garoppolo. So we're in this same situation again. We know they only have a certain ceiling with Garoppolo, but hey, let's do it for the third year in a row, pretend like it's going to change. I don't know if this is the game you really want to take away with Garoppolo. I understand that he knows the offense and they know what they have in him, but also they had a game plan for Seattle in particular, and it was run heavy. Maybe that wasn't the case when they had Lance, but either way, they stayed run heavy with 18 carries for Jeff Wilson and 14 carries for Tyrion Davis-Price, who as a player who didn't even break tackles in college, we know didn't break tackles in the NFL. So we know they were going to use three running backs, essentially what they said, and they were going to ride the hot hand. That hot hand today was Jeff Wilson, who in his starts last year also averaged 18 carries per game when Elijah Mitchell was injured, uh, 18 carries in this one, like I said. So it again, I don't know if this is the game plan, if this is the way they're going to run their offense around Garoppolo moving forward, but that's what it was today because – uh, Seattle offered nothing, Josh. I don't know why they're in the NFL. 
Um, we, well, we, we saw them have an upset at week one. We That's now have here in week two. Okay, but they ran 55 plays in week one. They ran 47 plays in this game. They haven't scored an offensive point in six consecutive quarters now. Like everything, all the excitement, adrenaline they had in week one, right? That's yeah. the game they're supposed to upset and win. Like when are they going to score their next touchdown? I don't know. The best thing I can say about this team is that DK Metcalf was back up to a 15-yard depth of target after having a four-yard depth of target as Jameson Crowder in week one. Other than that, there's nothing good here. There's absolutely nothing. Okay, let's focus in on that 49ers backfield because just before the game started, we got the hot hand. I believe it was Matt Mayoko tweeted this out, a beat writer for the team. Uh, it turns out, as you said, Jeff Wilson, 18 carries for 84 yards. Ty Davis-Price, Worked well ahead of Jordan Mason, who had zero carries for all of you keeping score at home. Uh, 14 carries for 33 yards with an also a long run of 20. So basically his other 13 runs equaled 13 yards, which I think he got tackled over and over again in the backfield, which Daigle, that doesn't help when the interior of the offensive line is already a mess for the 49ers. And then what we also got was Debo Samuel, four carries for 53 yards with a long of 51. Um, was there anything about red zone usage with Debo in that mold? Can we take anything from there? Cause I think I saw all three in terms of Wilson, Debo and TDP be used in high value touch scenarios. All three were used. And again, going with the hot hand, it was more Jeff Wilson towards the end of the game. I'll be curious what the, to see what they do moving forward. Uh, I think really the takeaway here is Brandon Ayuk leading the team in targets, basically picking oh. up right, right where he left off. After he had, remember, from week seven on, was out of Kyle Shanahan's doghouse. Like, this is the same player we see with Garoppolo that we saw last year with Garoppolo in the second half of the season. And, hey, I wanted to bring this up because the entire summer, at least for me, and maybe I drowned everyone else out, talked about the yards uh, outside the numbers and down the field for these quarterbacks. And, look, Jimmy's coming back into an offense that he focused so much over the middle of the field. But as soon as he came into this contest... He hit two passes, 10 plus yards outside the numbers and down the field, if not three potentially, and then also attempted three or four more. Like he basically hit more in this one game than he did anything last season. So I don't know if this is just a huge part of the 49ers offense from the entire off season that maybe they're hoping to implement even more with Jimmy, because again, we can look at so many passing charts from him last season that is so focused and red over the middle but maybe that they're going to force him or try to force him to be expanded a little bit. And that can help someone like Brandon Ayuk. Yeah, I think just in general, I'm going to be ranking Brandon Ayuk and Debo and eventually George Kittle higher with Jimmy G than I would have with Trey Lance. And I think my guest, Dago, I'm curious for your thoughts on this. Do you think the betting markets are also going to view this as an upgrade for just like the team? Like, I, do you think the point spread is going to be a little bit more in 49ers favor for next week than it otherwise would have been? I'm going to guess yes, slightly yes. That's a good point because as fun as we thought the NFC West was, like you could argue it's wide open still. Oh, wide open. Uh, especially because like we still don't know what the hell the Cardinals are, um, especially with how banged up they are. So, yeah, I, I would imagine it probably does help a little bit. Um, okay. 49ers done. Let's focus on the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Rashad Penny had six carries for 15 yards. In his debut, Kenneth Walker had four carries for 10 yards. Uh, at one point, this team used 40 personnel, so four running backs near the goal line. <laughs> they did that uh, last week, too. <laughs> and then Pete Carroll asked DJ Dallas to throw the football, and it was an interception. Was that a perfect microcosm of the Seattle Seahawks' performance in this contest? 
I don't know what to tell you about this team. Uh, the good, the good news is no one has to go back and watch this game. You don't, you don't learn anything from watching this game. So feel free to move on. Uh, Travis Homer will steal their third down back as well. And so like, really, you just don't get anything. You can say, oh, Rashad Penny continues leading the team in carries, but that does no good when he has 12 and 10 carries the first two weeks on this low volume offense. Again, averaging 51 plays per game through two weeks. It's And this is after they averaged a league low in plays per game last year, which we thought would naturally regress positively since it was a a bottom 15 mark in the last decade in the NFL. Like, oh, they can't be like any worse. They may actually be worse than last year. Did do see that Tyler Lockett had nine catches for 107. I think DK had 35 of his own and one big catch down the field taken away. Uh, I'm not saying we underrate or they were underrated in drafts, but I still think DK and Tyler Lockett are good. And even in a shit performance like this, both of them nearly got there. So I think as like flex players as moving forward, that's something to think about because Again, that same dude, Hayden, who is he? The USC guy? Hufunga? Yeah, Hufunga. I mean, he was flying all over the field again. This is like one of the best 49ers players already, and it's a loaded defense that they have. Yeah, Drake Jackson. I mean, Amon Ross St. Brown, huge week. Michael Pippen, the previous week, Drake London. Clay Helton, please. All these (laughs) USC guys are going off in the pros. Oh, my God. The the only thing is they were arguments for best ball, and and having, you know, someone who goes around Sunday morning and does all my redraft leagues, like, I understand people get into some weird situations where you're left with weird players to start, but – it's so hard to start DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett with confidence any week, any week at all. Uh, remember, DK Metcalf scored four touchdowns with Geno Smith last year. That's how he got his production. That's it. And we're seeing that again this year. Uh, this where if inst- he doesn't score touchdowns, it's just right. a dud. So this is instant reactions. Not necessarily holding you to this because you do so much more content throughout the week. But with Kenneth Walker active each week, is Rashad Penny unable to be in starting lineups? Yes, I don't know off the top of my head their schedule moving forward. I'll bring it up for you. They're not going to play Nathaniel Hackett every week, so I don't know <laughs> what well, situation we'll play Penny in. Next week it is the Atlanta Falcons, who are a little. Oh, feisty, that's the, that's a good running back carries for Penny game. You're chopping. I mean, what they're going to be projected to score 19 points that game. You're going to be dividing their running back touches into thirds. You can't see. They're yeah. both insurance backs. That's how how it is. Hey, and yeah. Kenneth Walker had uh, three targets and two catches, and I don't see a single one for Rashad Penny. Imagine that. It's it's not. I don't know why I'm yet. taking victory laps with Kenneth Walker getting 15 total yards in his debut. It's not okay. good. Nothing's good here. Hayden, as we were going live, this game with the Arizona Cardinals and the Las Vegas Raiders ended with the Cardinals coming out on top. You didn't get yes. to see. The I watched end it. Of this. Oh, you did. Okay, so 29 to 23, I believe it was a fumbled recovery in overtime that Hunter Infro put on the turf. Just overall, this contest seems absolutely ludicrous. 20 to nothing, the Las Vegas Raiders were leading at halftime. And then he puts up Kyler Murray with a closing with 0 on the on the clock at the end to have what a 23 point third and fourth quarter. And then obviously those six points in overtime. At halftime, Kyler Murray had six completions. It was <laughs> lifeless, lifeless. Up, they were down twenty to zero. Uh, the Raiders were moving the ball like crazy. Max Crosby was giving Kyler Murray hell. Would continue to give Kyler Murray hell, but in the second half of the game, a lot more checkdowns. James Conner leaves with an ankle injury right in the beginning of the third quarter. In comes Daryl Williams and Eno Benjamin. Daryl Williams more the the plotter on early downs. Eno Benjamin coming in for some of the passing down work, but it was just Zach Ertz, Marquise Brown, Greg Dorch on 
basically just a bunch of checkdowns to get them, claw them back in the game. At the very end of the game, it is chaos even to get there. I'm skipping over a bunch of stuff. At the very end of the game, they call it, uh, the Raiders call a timeout. Uh, they're at, it's like fourth and goal. And the Cardinals have a delay of game. Oh, this is on the two-point conversion. Have a delay of game. Kyler Murray has to scramble around like a madman, fires into A.J. Green, who had a brutal game in general out there. And then in overtime, apparently, there's uh, they go back and forth, and Hunter Renfro on the flats, catches the ball, gets it stripped, and then the Cardinals take it to the house for a crazy comeback from behind. Cliff Kingsbury did not have a good game. This was Kyler Murray running like a madman and then just getting the job done. Okay, let's break this down. 49 attempts. For 277 yards for Kyler Murray, just one score and one interception. Did have 28 rushing yards and a score on the ground. This is the horizontal raid we've all feared, right? Yes. Like, this is how the Cardinals are, are now set up without, even though Marquise Brown is on the team, has six for 68 on 11 targets, there's no verticality to the game. They have forced, and now Kyler Murray has adapted to everything going laterally instead of vertically. Yeah, I'm going to say some disgusting things. I think Zach Ertz is like a borderline top five tight end for right now, just the way there's some injuries out there. And just until DeAndre Hopkins back, gets back and same thing with Rondell Moore, he's just sitting in, in these ends. A lot of these green dots right here are, are Zach Ertz things. And the defense for the Cardinals didn't look very good uh, to start the game. Uh, I think my favorite staff in this game is Kyler only getting sacked one time. Max Crosby was giving them hell the entire game. The fact that Kyler Murray was only sacked once is a miracle and just a credit to how athletic Kyler Murray is. But this is, like you said, this is not a functional offense right now. It's so much of it is just check down, check down, check down. Kyler going it's, crazy. My only concern is that we're banking on DeAndre Hopkins, who basically had like career low and decreasing metrics across the board last year. And I understand like his hands are still amazing. So as a possession receiver on the boundary can certainly help. But is that really what like this offense needs to truly click? Uh, it, it's a man. They just may be bad. Honestly, Kyler Murray may be trying to elevate too little. Like, just when you look around at the surrounding talent. Instant my, reaction hot take, Hayden. Well, Should Rondell Moore come back and get a starting job from Greg Dortch? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'd have to go back and watch more of this Greg Dortch stuff. Uh, I, I will say the one thing with DeAndre Hopkins might put Marquise Brown in a more comfortable spot as like kind of in the Christian Kirk role where he's taking vertical shots down the field. And even if DeAndre Hopkins is not creating as much separation as kind of a jump ball specialist, at least you might get Marquise Brown in a more comfortable spot here. Marquise Brown, 11 targets, obviously a lot of this in garbage time, only comes out with 68 yards. I would view that as kind of a disappointment against a Raiders secondary that was missing some guys uh, and just not that talented in general. And I know Dorch wasn't targeted in the first half. He got yes. all his, his fantasy points in the second half. 55 yards and a score. James Conner left with an ankle injury, was questionable to return, and then was just ruled out after seven carries for 25. So, you know, Benjamin goes eight for 31 on the ground. Darrell Williams goes eight for 59. So glad we have Daigle here to shout the mentor. Uh, he gets the goal line touch. Um, who knows what the injury is going to be like? I know so many people who faded James Conner were fading him because of injuries. We weren't because what if can be played for injuries across the league? Um, I don't know if we learned, though, anything, did we, of how this backfield might be separated as we go along with the waiver wire? I, I think Daryl Williams, early downs, Ian Benjamin on passing downs. It's just kind of how the how it goes. Yeah. Which is not good, Okay, especially for this offense. Speaking of not good on the Raiders, after last week seeing 17 targets and roasting defensive backs, Devontae Adams has seven targets, two receptions, 12 yards, and luckily does find the end zone. 
my notes early in the game was just this emphasis when they get down to the goal line. It's like the same thing with the Packers last year where they're just not running the ball in these goal line situations. They're throwing balls to the end zone. And a lot of them were happening to Devontae Adams. And then uh, Darren Waller gets a couple of them. Darren Waller nearly comes out with a second touchdown grab. Uh, the beginning of the game looked awesome. And then apparently they just took the foot off the gas. I'm looking at Je- Josh Jacob, 19 carries for only 69 yards there. Uh, offensive line was a problem. Uh, even the Cardinals pass rush was was getting to uh Derek Carr at the end of this game too so I want to go back and watch and see what happened on the all 22 with all this stuff but at the beginning of the game they were coasting and at the end they just couldn't get Devontae Adams the ball which I found pretty surprising um but Hunter Renfro does bounce back a lot of those were underneath targets some screen plays to Hunter Renfro and obviously that game losing fumbles out just like in the flats okay Jacksonville Jaguars 24 Indianapolis Colts zero. The Colts now are 0 1 and 1 in this division. And just like last year, they go to Jacksonville and get stomped by this Jaguars team. Dave, when we all reviewed the Jaguars last week in, in opening weekend against the Commanders, I believe, uh, Trevor Lawrence had an awful first half and put it together in the second half. It felt like in this performance, he put it together from drive one throughout the entire contest to the tune of 25 of 30 for 235 yards and two scores. Commanded the offense well. Now, he did have two dropped interceptions by the Colts secondary that they should have had. So, not perfect. And that's pretty much the only good thing the Colts did all day. Really... I just think of it as the Colts looked like a team that ran 90 plays and 70 minutes of football last week and then had to travel the following week. Like, I I don't put too much stock in anything that happened here. Um, The Jaguars led 17-0 at the half and at 198 yards on offense, the Colts is 71. To that point, Lawrence at the half was also 14-17 for 130 yards and a touchdown. Lots of a quick skidding quick hitting scheme here seemed like he did have much better command but also we know the Colts banged up in their front seven banged up in their secondary and banged up on offense overall at the half Jonathan Taylor had four yards on five carries absolutely absurd and so genuinely just everything that could have gone wrong for the Colts did whereas the Jaguars took care of business okay Christian Kirk once again 78 yards and two scores he has lit the world on fire in his first two games after being rightly paid in free agency. We might add uh, Evan Ingram was the second leading receiver with seven for 46. And I pinpoint on this backfield, Daigle, James Robinson, 23 carries 64 yards, I think including a 37 yard touchdown run. Meanwhile, Travis ETN just nine carries for 20 yards and three catches for 33. And if you ask how James Robinson looked, know that literally every single yard he rushed for came after contact today, including his big touchdown run. He's the better player. There's no arguing. He's the better player right now in this offense. Uh, He ran more routes than Travis Etienne today. And although we can't take away too much of his increased role, since it was a game script that was for him, like he's the one who also should play more honestly right now when it's a one-score game script. So, no, James Robinson looks awesome right now. The only thing I was going to add is Ian Rappaport before this game said that that the Jaguars wanted to run the ball more and specifically mirror the second half game plan from last week, which featured James Robinson almost exclusively over Travis Etienne. This is something definitely to monitor for people doing like midseason best ball drafts and stuff. I don't think that their ADP should be very far. I was ranking James Robinson ahead of Travis Etienne this week. I will certainly be doing that next week too. Okay. Colton, we know that Michael Pittman missed this contest after going from limited practice to not practicing. So that means we get seven targets to Ashton Doolin. Uh, not a good six formula. Targets to Desmond Patton. Three targets to Michael Strachan. 
And uh, was there anything creative from Naeem Hines, who goes four for 37 in the air? Or is Frank Reich just a, a little bit overrated through two games? And this is all unraveling very quickly when we thought Matt Ryan was supposed to stabilize this team. They played Hines more in the slot than they did in week one, but even that wasn't enough. Uh, again, Jonathan Taylor, 10 touches. I mean, I, I don't know what we're doing here. And so I think the real takeaway is Ashton Doolin, who has now been targeted on, he was targeted on 32% of his routes in week one and over 30% again today. It seems like when he's on the field and playing, that's who they go to. So I think he's like the deep lead flyer we're actually should be looking into since we don't know the extent of Pittman's injury. Okay. There it is. Next, 27-31, the Los Angeles Rams beat the Atlanta Falcons at home. This game, the scoreboard reads that it was very close because it was a, a nice story down 28-3 to for the Atlanta Falcons to claw back, including a punt block for a score. But in the end, the Rams and Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford were just too much. And it's actually fascinating. 21 to three at halftime. Cooper Cup didn't have his first catch until 150 left in the first half. And then you fast forward to 13 minutes left in the third quarter and he's up for seven for 79 and a touchdown. Like it's just inevitable what Cooper Cup is going to put out there. Maybe most interesting to the people out there. One, we saw a multitude of of Allen Robinson targets inside of the red zone and inside the 10 yard line in a lot of creative ways. He had, I believe their second touchdown of the game or first touchdown of the game. It was in that backside X lineup that we talked about all off season long, where that's where Odell Beckham thrived in the inside the 10 yard line last year. And Allen Robinson did it here. He also had another touchdown called back where he was lined up in the backfield snap catch score refs blow the whistle, say there's a medical timeout because A.J. Terrell might be concussed, so that's wiped off the board. Um, but in the end, he goes four receptions for 53 yards and looked so much better against man coverage in this contest. I'm noticing Tyler Higby with nine targets. Uh, that's back-to-back -back weeks of just tight end one usage. Like I'm not sure he drops too many passes. He's so inconsistent, but I mean... Man, if they're if they're not going to be able to run the ball, and obviously I'm sure the offensive line here was pretty subpar looking at the just the rushing box score. I mean, they're going to throw the ball a ton, and if Allen Robinson isn't going to be like a ten target per game guy, I mean, there's room for Tyler Higby to be at least like on the title one two border, right? But when you think about it, last year this team wanted to have Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, and Odell Beckham, right? And then it got minimized to Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham, and Van Jefferson slash Ben Skoranek, you know. This season, they wanted it to be Cooper Cup, Allen Robinson, and Van Jefferson, who then got hurt. And so if you need that third pass catcher, especially over the middle of the field, it's Tyler Higby. I think he had a couple more red zone, end zone looks too, was inefficient on those once again, because that's the name of his game. But yeah, I mean, in terms of volume and what we're looking at across tight ends, and we'll get to the one on the opposite end in the Atlanta Falcons here in the moment. Uh, you can do a lot worse than Tyler Higby. He might be one of the late round tight ends who hit the season 100%. I did want to bring up Daigle this backfield because last year, last week, we all know in the season opener, like Cam Akers probably wouldn't have touched the ball if Kyron Williams stayed healthy for that entire contest. Today, he was immediately out there. Daryl Henderson drew the start. He got knocked pretty hard by AJ Terrell in that first drive. Then Cam Akers went in there. Cam Akers was trusted. Cam Akers then 
played in the second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, made some really nice moves on like a third and one to avoid an oncoming defender, create some space for himself and slither through for, for, for a first down. Um, Daryl Henderson really got home because he's the one who had the 13 yard touchdown run. But again, 10 carries for Hendo, 15 carries for Cam Akers, two catches for Cam Akers here. Uh, it's back to the split backfield that I think based on this performance, Cam Akers has earned that right that Sean McVay since the summer has wanted to run. And unfortunately, I don't think this offensive line is the one you want a split backfield behind, especially when both running backs continue to be, and maybe this isn't their fault, but they continue to be inefficient. So that seems to create a much bigger problem than if we could have just plugged Cam Akers or Henderson as like a top 14 running back moving forward. Yeah, and they lost their backup left tackle. What's his name? Something like answer whatever anyways they they lost him very early on this contest so yeah Jermaine Ankrum I believe his name is uh not good not good and Matthew Stafford we saw this last season even, even when they won the Super Bowl had just two egregious interceptions um but it was nice to see K makers and it was nice to see Allen Robinson bounce back uh I am waiting on the Cow Pitts bounce back because here we are week one against the Saints two catches 19 yards week two Against the Los Angeles Rams, two catches, 19 yards. Hayden, we see Drake London go for 12 targets, eight receptions, 86 yards, and a score. We see him have a six catches for 70 yards or whatever in week one. It's clicking for Drake London with Marcus Mariota. It's not clicking for Kyle Pitts with Marcus Mariota. Yeah, and there's a decent argument that there's just not enough volume for both of them to pay off their ADPs. I mean, we're talking about both, like, what, round six and round three picks here, so it's going to be kind of hard to do the math there. And Drake London, 46% target share this week, just looks incredible. Way more athletic than people give him credit for. Ha made a leaping or a, a leaped over a defender this week, too, and just he he looks dominant out there. So the Kyle Pitts, stuff, I, I want to watch to see it, how much he was – in the route versus blocking. That was a, uh, something we had to go over with Dawson Knox uh, previously, but I'm curious to see what the tape says. Uh, um, well, I, behind the seats at Pro Football Focus, I know he only blocked three times on 35 dropbacks, uh, led, the led the team in routes run. Here's the issue is that everyone goes to social media and puts his routes run and targets, and they just don't matter because Arthur Smith doesn't use him creatively. Kyle Pitts is constantly asked to beat the best opposing defender on every single team and that's why he's such a volatile option he we are 19 games in his career and he's only scored 10 plus fantasy points in three games like we're just don't get production from him uh even though we know he has the highest weekly ceiling because of his athleticism but it doesn't matter if you're not used like justin jefferson justin jefferson last week seven of his 10 targets came against linebackers or safeties kyle pitts just gets thrown out wide and he gets told hey jalen ramsey marshall Lattimore, whoever it may be like you have to beat this guy and we're not actually going to scheme anything creative so just like try to beat him and maybe you'll get a target it's that every single week even on Drake London's touchdown, Hayden, they were stacked up with each other. Kyle Pitts was running the deeper route, almost the clear out portion. And then Drake London was the one who came underneath it, caught the slant, and then got into the end zone. Um, I really am going to ask Weaves to basically look at all of the routes, maybe not all the routes, all the targets from the first two weeks and see if we can take anything from the stats versus film show on, on Tuesday. I think there's a little bit of what, what Daigle's saying. Live, I couldn't tell you what Jalen Ramsey was doing, snap in and, and snap out. He had an awesome interception over the top of Brian Edwards to, to end this contest flat out. Um, but for a third, fourth round pick in some leagues, Kyle Pitts just isn't cutting it. And at some point, I know regression, we're going to hear it every single week. 
it's just not right. Like I'm not saying the Falcons are doing everything right. Or Marcus Mariota's doing everything right. Like they tried to run this triple option, got stuffed on fourth down Cordero Patterson, uh, tipped up the pass himself that was intercepted. Like they're making mistakes each and every week, but it's absolutely telling that Olomide Zacchaeus for back-to-back weeks is putting up points. You know, Drake London putting up a ton of points and looks awesome. And Kyle Pitts is invisible, you know? Yeah, I want to watch this game. I, I want to see what, what what they're doing. Uh, I do notice Pat, Tyler Algier both get 10 targets here. Uh, neither of them really do much in the passing game uh, at all. Zero yards for both of them. Is there any takeaways between them? Yeah, both get 10 carries. Uh and Tyler Algier was in there from the second snap of the game, you know. They oh, it, so he he was used like Damian Williams since Damian yeah. Williams was out. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So it, it it was a full on rotation. It's pretty clear that Cordell Patterson is still the most explosive back. Like Tyler Algier didn't do anything exceptional here. In fact, he got shut down on a third and two. Then after that, that's when the triple option got shut down. Uh, but again, CPAT was making mistakes. I I think that they just know that they need a rotation with a thirty one year old back, and so they're going to put someone else out there. Um, but it was notable that. Again, they it wasn't just series in, series out, changeover, changeover. Algier was in there from the second snap. So, okay. Next up, Hayden, your game. Houston Texans, Denver Broncos. <laughs> what what are we getting from the Denver Broncos offense? Because through two games, it feels like we not only have questions about Russell Wilson, we also have questions about play caller Nathaniel Hackett. It's both of them. To me, Russell Wilson just doesn't look like he has the same explosiveness. And I think that defenses are probably treating him differently, probably more too high coverages. And you just don't see like the creativeness launch downfield plays. There's one Corlin Sun was wide open late in the game for a 35 yard game. But outside of that, a very sloppy performance, specifically for Nathaniel Hackett. I don't want to go over every single mistake that he made, but I'll sum it up this way. At the end of the game, the Broncos, there was a couple of delayed, delayed games that forced timeouts. The entire Broncos at home, the entire crowd was chanting the play clock nine, eight, seven, like they were uh, in March Madness or something like that. I've never seen that before. It was going crazy and it happened for like the entire fourth quarter. Hayden, this is back-to-back weird things that Russ or the crowd is doing because last week in week one, Russ acted like he was a high school sideline saying pass, run, asking his entire teammates like a a big doofus. Yeah, doing this. And now the crowd understands. They were booing too. They were like the early, like I think maybe even the first drive, they were booing. There was boos the entire game. This offense was really, really bad. And if Davis Mills could have done anything at all in this game, they should have lost. This was a sloppy performance. The Texans defense is not very good. Uh, Russell Wilson took three sacks here, but there was a lot of times where he's just rolling out and just uh, sometimes it used to be rolling out and throw downfield. We didn't really see any of that. Nothing over the middle. We're back. What's no, oh, this is week one. Never mind. I was well, about to say we're, it did we're, feel we're... like that. It did feel like that. <laughs> um, okay. So let's outline this because this was the offense. I mean, this was a player that was supposed to answer all the questions, right? It was supposed to get everything going with them setting up all these all these great offensive players. Obviously, they lost Tim Patrick. Jerry Judy was ruled out for this contest, so it's ju- turned just into Cortland Sutton. But then on top of that, like you have that fourth down attempt. No, third down attempt on an option with Andrew Beck and the running back out there and taking it out of Russell Wilson's hands. Then you have a delay of game that takes you out of field goal range that then forces a punt. Like You can't couple maybe an offense that is slowly coming together with also mismanagement from the head coach. Who's also the play caller 
And if that's the case, then you're having a, a struggling team through two weeks. It was an F from for Hackett in back-to-back weeks, an F. So um, the one, yeah, the, like you said, Jerry Judy leaves the game with a shoulder injury. We don't even have to go through the backups as a rotation. Like Kendall Hinton was getting targets. Uh, Eric Sauberg scores a touchdown. We don't have to worry about any of them. Albert O doesn't do much uh, at all, uh, actually zero yards. Um, it's just Cortland Sutton out there who I thought looks pretty damn good uh, down the field. He should be. Uh, I, I had him like ranged like my wide receiver 13 this week. I'm probably going to go back to the well, just especially if Jerry Jude, he's dealing with an AC joint type of injury. We've seen those uh, last a couple uh, weeks historically. And then for the running back rotation, it was a split um, as usual. The targets were not there like they were last week. Uh, Melvin catches one pass. Javante won a four. He had one drop, a couple batted down plays, but, just didn't go anywhere, and they, they just tried to keep running the ball, running the ball, running the ball, and Javante looked good, I thought, on those carries. Same thing with Melvin Gordon, but, like, if you can't pass the ball downfield, like, I don't know what we're gonna what we're supposed to do here. For K.J. Hamler to be out, and then Jerry Judy to leave the game, and so Alberto has all this additional opportunity, and then to run 24 rounds to Eric Sobert seven, and still come away with two targets... And basically no fantasy points. Like, you're down bad, buddy. This is not going well right now. Yeah. Interesting. Gre- um, Greg Dulcich is only two weeks away, essentially. <laughs> and Al- This is the month Alberto is supposed to be delivering tight in one numbers. And it's nothing. It's empty. Instant reactions show that we're not responsible for these opinions, Hayden. Or the fears that Russell Wilson's game does not age. Where if he can't win outside of structure with the athleticism, his game is diminished as a whole. Are these valid? These are these are valid. It, it's it's to what degree are we talking here? And it ultimately might not matter if if Kendall Hinton is your wide receiver two, and then freaking Cleveland is your wide receiver three. It might not matter. Um, but this is going to be a run a run heavy running back heavy offense with just some passes down to Cortland Sutton for right now. Okay. Speaking of of running back heavy, we know last week for the Houston Texans. From six minutes on in the fourth quarter in overtime, Damian Pierce did not get a single touch, and it was all Rex Burkhead. To start this for the first 18 snaps out of the backfield, Rex Burkhead had one, Damian Pierce had 17. To the tune that Damian Pierce had 15 carries at the end for 69 yards and zero carries for Rex Burkhead. This was kind of what we thought going into the year, what it was going to look like, where Damian Pierce is the clear first and second down back. Rex Burkhead subs subs in on third and longs. That's what happened here. That's why Rex Burkhead has three targets. And I don't remember Damian Pierce uh, even seeing. I uh, had one catch. Um, so, yeah, this was kind of like the usage first and second down uh, running back. I thought he looked all right on his touches. Definitely hard to tackle. We'll see how great his burst is long term. But you're the first and second down back for the Texans. I think that gets you right around the RB30 range next week. But I think we're going back to Damian Pierce ranking above Rex Burkhead. It looks like... Uh, Coach Levy Smith learned from his mistakes, probably used Rex Burkhead too much in week one. John Daigle, Washington Commanders, Detroit Lions. Lions win this game at home 36 to 27. Both teams are now one and one. The conversation has to begin and end with Amon Ross St. Brown. Basically up there now with the likes of Antonio Brown on his greatest stretches of games, Julio Jones on his greatest stretches of games, 12 targets, nine receptions, 162 yards and two scores. And on top of that is a team's leading rusher also with two carries for 68 yards. 
opens the regular season now as well with back-to-back games of 12 targets, including a 32% and 35% target share in those two games, matched a franchise record with a touchdown reception in six consecutive games now. And he is very good at learning targets. The issue also... For in this game in particular, was that the commander's defense is bad. They were a problem in week one, <laughs> and they were a problem again. 10 plays of 15-plus yards allowed to Detroit's oh. offense, including runs of 58 and 22 yards to DeAndre Swift and multiple 40-yard plays to Monrose St. Brown, including that long end-around. He had two end-arounds in this game in particular. Swift actually didn't force a tackle today, not at all, because 84% of his rushing yards came before he was even touched. That's how bad this team is. Um, But even then, on only seven touches and 50% of the team snaps, he averaged 12.4 yards per touch. When he got the ball, and it was rare, when he got the ball, it really seemed like that ankle injury wasn't a big deal at all. Like, he was so explosive when he touched it. But overall, yes, that's what this is. DJ Char had his deep opportunities again pretty empty like one was broken up in the end zone that he could have caught the other three really didn't matter they were never going to get there but overall this offense is humming through two people essentially it is a bone rose brown and deandre swift and that's it we, we talked about this hayden last week when the lions faced the eagles and we said as bad as that might look at portions lions fans don't get frustrated because your offensive line is going to win most matchups. You know, last week against the Eagles defensive line, it's one of the worst you're going to face all season long. Now, granted, there were tons of injuries along the Lions offensive line, but when you couple great pass protection, this is what you get from Jared Goff. You get 20 of 34 for 256 and four touchdowns. We've seen him with the Rams year after year after year. If there's good protection, if there's a good offense, which Dan Campbell and company have obviously created since week 10 of last season, you're going to have a highly productive team. I just hope that this offensive line can stay healthy or they face the Washington commanders each and every week who have gotten back to where they were at the start of last season when they literally were one of the worst defenses in the league for the first half of last year. Yeah, Jared Goff, keep him protected, and you're going to get yards. It may come in garbage time, but we will get fantasy points from them. And Mon Ross St. Brown, I think we're knocking on the door for for top 12 fantasy Amazing. receiver the rest of the way. Um, TJ Hawkinson, I'm just looking at him just real, real quick. I mean, seven targets, 26 yards. I, I mean, does he ever do anything? Really? Like, he doesn't move the needle ever. Like, what, what are we supposed to do? Like, there is no other tight ends that I'm, like, going to be begging to put him over, but, like, to me, TJ Hawkinson is just going to finish as like the tight end nine. Like you're never going to win your week because of him. Everyone asked who Cooper Cup was. And I know a lot of our answer in the industry was Juju Smith-Schuster, but maybe it's the man who's the wide receiver three in fantasy points per game right now. Maybe it's Simone Ross St. Brown. Maybe that was the answer, simple enough. Just a target hoarding slot receiver. On the other side of the ball, though, for Washington, it didn't start out pretty, although it seems like it. Uh, they didn't record a first down or make it past their own 38-yard line until 540 remaining in the second quarter. Aiden Hutchinson had three sacks in the first half alone. They were destroyed Washington's offense, hence Detroit's 22-0 lead at the half. And then that forced Carson Wentz and this offense into an up-tempo game script where it's honed in. It's a concerted target tree between the three wide receivers, and that's basically it. J.D. McKissick, of course, playing over Antonio Gibson since it was a negative game script. Same thing we saw in week one. But overall, it was surprisingly, yet again, Curtis Samuel leading the team in targets as so far one of the best waiver pickups possible, not only because John Dotson now has five targets in back-to-back games, but with he and Terry McLaurin having a 12-yard depth of target, 
they are the ones competing for each other's targets. Whereas you may laugh at Curtis Samuel's one-yard dot in week one, five-yard dot in week two, but know that no one is competing for his targets, and he gets carries to go along with those. So they concert, they literally build plays around him. Like, he has a high weekly floor. You, you might have heard that this is the instant reaction show, so we're not responsible for anything we say here. You're about to say something absurd. If- if Scott Turner continues this trajectory this season, he will get a head coaching job next year. Um, what he is doing with the quarterback that two teams have already given up on after giving either a big contract to or a high draft capital to um, is pretty amazing. And we outlined it last week with Curtis Samuel that if he stays healthy, he is going to get volume because Scott Turner understands the ways to use him in advantageous positions that you can force feed him. And his touchdown this week, Hayden, was against 59. That's either a linebacker or a defensive end, setting him up one-on-one out of the backfield. And there's your wheel route. There's your touchdown. This is going to happen week in and week out. All we have to pray for and hope for is a Curtis Samuel health 100% throughout the season. And this could get back to the 2020 usage we saw with Curtis Samuel when he crossed 1,000 yards. And that was with Joe Brady, not even Scott Turner. Yeah, like Daigle said, Jahan Dotson and Terry McLaurin, that's about as fast as you can get on the perimeter. And they both of them are just going to be running downfield routes and then just going to be basically option routes, perhaps against linebackers uh, underneath Curtis Samuel. So I'm, I'm treating Curtis Samuel as, as legit. He's like arrived. I'm going to be ranking him somewhere in like the wide receiver three-ish range. Probably reasonably close to Terry McLaurin, I think, as soon as next week. Carolina Panthers, New York Giants. Giants win this contest 19 to 16. And I am shocked that we didn't get an Adam Schefter report that Matt rules ticket was declined on the airplane and he wasn't able to board. This dude should not be coaching a football team heading into halftime of this contest. My eyes were bleeding because Saquon Barkley had seven total yards at halftime. DJ Moore had negative two total yards at halftime. Now, immediately after that, sure. DJ Moore goes out there and strings together two receptions for, 46 yards and a touchdown. Saquon Barkley ends the day with 21 carries for 72 yards. But how the Giants and Daniel Jones played, how they have no receivers out there when your top two are Richie James and David Sills, who have both been cut from probably a dozen teams each, and the Panthers simply can't create an advantageous offense or have this talented defense that plays as a unit and takes advantage of mistakes from the other team, you're a losing program. You're a losing franchise. I will also add that Baker Mayfield is awful. He's atrocious. Any modicum of idea that he elevates DJ Moore should be thrown out the window because every single team knows that if you can't get to Baker Mayfield because At times, Ben McAdoo wants him to hold on to the ball for 2.3 seconds and get it out of his hands. Every edge rusher and defensive tackle now knows that you can play volleyball. You can jump up. He had another two or three batted passes here in the first half, once again, just like he did last week. And then they know that if you do not pressure him, which there was some pressure this week because Ikuquan is really struggling. But if you don't pressure him and you have nice coverage in the back half, Baker Mayfield believes he has the athleticism of Josh Allen, when really on top of it, he is a walk-on athlete. He's a walk-on athlete and tries to create outside of structure, can't even beat defensive tackles to the first down marker and tries to thrive and win on his own and put the team on his back. All of the issues that the Cleveland Browns 
wanted to force him out are already apparent through these first two weeks in Carolina, 0-2, abysmal franchise. At least we got Christian McCaffrey back to like 90% snaps and 20, 20 opportunities. And we, we, know who the, we know who their receivers are, even though they don't deliver often, but it's still DJ Moore route on 100% of dropbacks and Robbie Anderson just two routes behind him. We know who's out there at least. Baker, 14 of 29, 145 God. yards, two sacks, and a touchdown. Against a Giants defense, player by player, through the 11, without Aziz Ojolari and Kayvon Thibodeau it's as their tough. edge rushers. And Aaron Robinson on the secondary starting cornerback. Truly might be the worst unit in the league. Panthers also got finally five targets for four receptions for 26 yards through three quarters, though. Christian McCaffrey only really had two targets against his linebacker group that was eviscerated last week in their first matchup. I, I don't know what they're what they're doing here. Like, thankfully, Christian McCaffrey broke one out, got 49 yards, and that was half of his final total in the rushing game. And thankfully, he got four receptions for 26 yards. But it's going to be a slog to get there each and every week. There isn't one thing that you can hang your hat on despite the talent that they have accumulated at wide receiver, at edge rusher, at linebacker, in that defensive backfield, even though Dante Jackson went down. Matt Rule has to leave. He has to be the first one who was fired this year. It's it's preposterous. It's abysmal. It's every single word that you can think of. And they have to like reset. <laughs> Do you know their schedule, Josh? Saints, Cardinals, 49ers, Rams, Bucks. Man, those are some tough defenses mixed in there. That could be a pretty brutal run this was supposed to be the easy part of the calendar you open with Jacoby Brissett and the Cleveland Browns then you open with Daniel Jones and no wide receivers in the banged up defense and as you said it's the Saints then the Cardinals then the 49ers then the Rams then the Bucks you're done I mean 0-6 0-6 is right around the corner for the Panthers I think I wrote in my team preview this offseason that Baker Mayfield will get benched at Thanksgiving because that's kind of how they're PJ Walker that's kind of how their schedule plays out. I mean, you gotta, if you're losing, you go to the bench. I don't know. You gotta blame somebody. I mean, the worst possible. I don't think anyone's gonna watch this game and say, oh, you're being too harsh on Baker Mayfield. Like there was a third and one that was wide open. That was a nice play call from Ben McAdoo after two nice runs from Christian McCaffrey where they rolled him out. And Baker just wants to th- use his arm strength, try to put it on DJ Moore, and then just basically overthrows him and asks him to extend while he's wide open about two yards beyond the line of scrimmage. Easy first down if he just puts it in between his numbers and that's it. It's a, I do not see a ceiling for DJ Moore. I don't see a ceiling for Christian McCaffrey with how this team is playing. You just have to hope on volume and one of them to score a touchdown. And we're only through two weeks. So. I think CMC will be fine. I think CMC will be fine. On the other side of the ball too, for the two and O giants, Look, look at they play the Cowboys and the Bears the upcoming weeks. Like they could be the four and <laughs> Giants very easily with zero wide receivers. This is absurd what they're doing. And I don't know if you noticed anything from the film, Josh, but behind the scenes, Kadarius Tony, yes, his snaps increased, yeah. but he still ran the fourth <laughs> most routes among right. their wide receivers. It was David Sills and Sterling Shepard pretty much the whole way until Tony again got banged up and then they put in Richie James instead. Yeah, I think it was about 23 or 26 snaps that Kadarius Tony had. He had a manufactured touch that he also dropped. Like, he's just not – he played more. I wouldn't say he earned anything else in this contest. One final note, Matt Rule is 5-16 and 16 in close games. 5-16. and 16. 
What you doing? I'm surprised they were in that many close games, to be honest. <laughs> Uh, the, the other note here, Kenny Galladay plays two snaps. I read a report that he like cleared out his locker was not available for media stuff. Like oh. we're at the, we're at the point where like, if Kenny Galladay is not on the team tomorrow, like that wouldn't be shocking, even though I believe he has the biggest cap hit of any wide receiver right now. Okay. I think we've gone through all nine of our contest. Is that correct? Am I correct in that assumption? Have you gone through year three Daigle? Have you gone through year three Hayden? Okay. If, if that's the case, let's go and ask the questions of the games we weren't allowed to watch. And before you get there, smash subscribe, hit like, so I can calm down a little bit. New York Jets, 31. Cleveland Browns, 30. The Cleveland Browns were way up in this contest. Then a 14-point comeback, 17-point comeback by the Jets in the fourth quarter. And Hayden, man, it was the rookies, namely Garrett Wilson. Eight receptions, 102 yards, two touchdowns on 14 freaking targets. The next closest wide receiver had five targets in Elijah Moore. Pretty wild. He looked great on a couple of routes last week. Uh, kind of reminds me of Jerry Judy. Very flashy. He can win downfield or after the catch underneath. Uh, the big news here was Braxton Berrios. His routes went way down. Garrett Wilson played more. It's still a bit of a rotation here, and it is a wide receiver rotation for the Jets. But at this point, Garrett Wilson could play. I think Corey Davis is still pretty underrated, and Elijah Moore can play. So, We'll see what happens when Zach Wilson gets back here, but at least Garrett Wilson's in the flex radar going into this week. He was like, he wasn't playing very much in the first half of week one. I think now it's very clear. He can't be off the field for freaking Braxton Berrios at this point. Uh, Participation increase, including 76% of snaps for Garrett Wilson this week and a 35% target share, like you said. And it's exciting because we still have these Corey Davis routes he could eat into. We still have Elijah Moore routes he could maybe play over. Uh, there's a lot of meat left on the bone here for a growing role. I don't expect him to be consistent. I don't want to go get yep, ahead of myself because I think everyone now will thinks he'll be like a wide receiver too weekly. It's There's going to be ebbs and flows here because it's still Joe Flacco and the Jets offense. But we have hope at least. We have hope. And it was pretty abysmal through, I don't know, two and a half, three quarters for for Joe Flacco. It looked like a really bad performance. And then in the end... He goes for 307 yards and four scores, just sacked twice. Uh, Garrett Wilson had that beautiful route against Greg Newsom in the red zone and tight field. And we saw it last week in the short sections, and we saw it this week for much more of an extended time. He's a separator, and I love those types of route runners. I love those types of route runners in isolation. Also for the Jets, we know Brees Hall had the receiving touchdown, but it was Michael Carter the whole way. He actually outsnapped Brees Hall 43 to 19 and ran 26 routes to Brees Hall's 10. Like all Michael Carter essentially in a 70-30 split. Yeah, I was going to bring that same thing up. And even in the routes run, Michael Carter had 25, Brees Hall had eight. So I'm not saying that Brees Hall was lucky to get there with his one target, but uh, the volume, the the opportunities were certainly in Michael Carter's favor. All I will say about the Jets is keep hoping Flacco gets starts over Zach Wilson. The mm -hmm. offense is clearly better, in my opinion. Okay, on the Browns' end, I was pretty wrong about this too, Hayden. Pre-game show, I was like, I'm not playing anyone attached to Jacob Brissett in this receiving game. And then Mark Cooper goes out there and gets 10 targets, 9 receptions, 101 yards, and a touchdown. I know they were picking on Sauce Gardner. I know Sauce Gardner also left in this contest at one point, but Amari last week turned a lot of those penalty yardage into actual yardage this week. 
when they're trailing or the game is close, he's the only one that's like a true difference maker. Maybe eventually David Njoku, but I mean, Donovan Peoples-Jones, David Bell, like, I mean, Belton, these guys aren't going to be earning targets. If they're in negative game script or, or neutral game script, Amari Cooper's getting the damn rock. And I, th- I think Jacoby Brissett opened 12 for 12, too. Um, amazing. Also amazing, Nick Chubb. Pretty good. 17 carries, 87 yards, and most notably, John Daigle, three touchdowns. Like everyone says about Nick Chubb, hey, man, he doesn't catch the ball. Luckily today, he did get three targets for 26 yards, and so he has to get in with touchdowns. I know it was against the Panthers, who can't stop the run. I know against the Jets, who can't stop the run. But so far, in two performances next to Jacob Grissett, we know that they want to give Nick Chubb the football, and especially in high-value touch scenarios. And we know that Kareem Hunt's, both of his touchdowns in week one came outside the 10-yard line. So it's not like he was the goal line back anyways. Chubb does carry the ceiling. It would have been nice still to get the 100-yard bonus, but I can't be complaining when he scores three touchdowns. So uh, a good to see a great performance from this offense. I do question, even though we think Amari Cooper will lead this team in targets for the entire year, I still question how consistent they'll be since we already saw Donovan Peoples-Jones soak up a 30% target share in week one. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great comment. Okay. Pittsburgh Steelers lose at home to the New England Patriots, 17 to 14. Mac Jones attempts 35 passes for 252 yards. Uh, Daigle, the whole conversation heading into this one was the backfield split. On paper, it looks like Damian Harris owned it with 15 carries for 71 yards and one score compared to Ramondre's nine carries for 47 yards. Ramondre just two targets. Damian Harris just two targets. I think when you dig a little bit deeper, I believe Ramondre Stevenson had the bulk of the snap rate, correct? Yes, out-snap Damian Harris 42-27. to 27. And oddly enough, even though Damian Harris was out there for more routes, seven more routes than Stevenson in week one, it was Stevenson this week who ran 23 routes to Harris's 11. So actually used more, but anytime Damian Harris gets the ball, he's still a bully. My question I keep coming back to, because this game was on the the local channel. So I saw too much of it, which is one minute, basically. It's too much for the normal human being to watch these two teams, is that you don't want pieces of this offense. Like this is a terrible Matt Patricia offense. The Steelers have exciting players, but even they, they are tough to watch. Um, So overall, like, the Hunter, I think Hunter Henry is like, I want to drop him. Devontae Parker, if he ran an extra, if they gave him an extra free 15 plays every single week, I don't know if it'd matter. Like, I think it'd be the same thing every single week. So I don't even want to talk about like Parker's route participation, Parker's like target share, because it doesn't matter. Like it just, it's not going to lead to fantasy points in this offense. Hayden, I wasn't expecting Mac Jones' passing chart to morph into Jimmy Garoppolo's passing chart where everything is forced over the middle of the field. But is that what happens when you really have no speed other than that one Nelson Aguilar catch that he mossed his opponent on the sideline? Yeah, Mac Jones is going to be thrown over the middle just in general here. Yeah, I, I want to watch this game, but I'm shocked that they threw the ball down field as much as what this passing chart is showing. They at least have to threaten it. Otherwise, it's just this offense is just going to have no explosive plays here, but... Um, even even with the routes and all that stuff, Damian Harris gets the damn rock at the goal I'm, line. I'm and with I would continue you. to be ranking Damian Harris over Ramondre. Yep. I, I thought, it, as we talked about in the show, went a little bit out of hand last week when it was just assumed that Ramondre was going to star in this pass-catching role. But when Damian Harris is out there, Damian gets the rock and Dame Train rumbles. And he still is one of the more underrated runners in the league. And it's, it's awesome to see him succeed when uh, he just gets constantly overlooked. Uh, I would love to overlook Mitchell Trubisky into the 
fact that he wouldn't be playing. But Hayden, you have to watch this game at some point this week where it goes from Mitch 33 attempts for 168 yards, one score and an interception. Speaking of cap ceilings, like this whole offense seems capped because of the quarterback entirely. It's terrible. I, I don't understand the point of letting this continue. You have a rookie quarterback, first round rookie. Let's play him. Like the offense is last week, it was all gimmicks, all of his yardage. This week, I mean, what he averaged with like five yards per attempt here. It's it's not good. So it's, he's going to be putting a ceiling on Deontay Johnson. They can't get George Pickens the ball, which is sad to me. He can't throw the ball outside the numbers. And Najee Harris is hard to go anywhere when you have no explosive plays. You don't get that many goal line opportunities. I did see that Najee Harris. Uh, as expected, his snaps are down this year compared to last year. It hasn't really translated to like losing too many touches yet. Uh, obviously, he left last week. Um, but losing a couple snaps here and there could be the difference between being like a top eight running back and being like the the running back like a 10 or 11 on the year. I will also say I will already admit that I was wrong on Pat Fryermuth in the dead zone. Um, I still think the if we're playing the game of fantasy football, it's wrong to reach for a tight end there. But back-to-back weeks with a 23% target share. He he moves different against linebackers. He's, he's he's too fast for them. Like he's too, he's a super athlete. Um and now we're also seeing back-to-back games with a route on over 75% of dropbacks like he was the tight end to reach for in the dead zone. And it's easier for tight ends to get home in a bad offense than it is for wide receivers and running backs to get home because for obviously for tight ends in order to be relevant each week you just have to score a touchdown basically. And Pat Fryermuth last year was among the highest at his position in 10 yard targets inside the 10. And uh, that's carrying on to this year. You know, when you, when the two of you rewatch this game also have that Jay Glazer tweet, always look back at it every single time Mitchell Trubisky throws the ball that says the Steelers want to start Trubisky every game this year. Just remind yourself of that tweet because then you'll laugh. At least it's fun to watch this game. Daigle is, we know that Najee Harris last year, among all the backs he was selected around, has no explosiveness and no explosive plays. That's also now even more limited where he's just a volume sponge and we basically have to rely on him to catch passes in order to like create longer gains and to have relevant fantasy points. The argument for fading Najee Harris, it was his explosiveness among other players who were far more explosive, but it was also the touches. Even when people told you he was going to command backfield touches, yes, but not the same amount because it's a totally different offense. He's not getting the Ben Rosberger dead arm targets at the line of scrimmage. Like he caught 45%, he saw 45% of his targets at or behind the line of scrimmage last year. That's not this offense, not to mention Chase Claypool also being used differently this year as he was last year as strictly a deep threat. So it's just not the same player and it's not the same offense. Okay, one game left, I believe. And please review if that is correct, because I forgot a game last week and we were accused of hiding from our takes that we previously had. Christian Kirk has a 26.5% target share through two weeks and you wouldn't know it because we'd skipped the first week talking about him. Okay, here we go. Cincinnati Bengals at Dallas Cowboys. Dallas with Cooper Rush forcing the Bengals to 0 and 2. Rush, 19 of 31, 235, and one score. You might say to yourself, well, that means CeeDee Lamb had to have a day. And he kind of did. 11 targets, seven receptions for 75. But it's the other starting receiver, Hayden. Five targets, five receptions, 91 yards, and one score for Noah Brown. Yeah, Noah Brown's kind of like their deep threat right now until Michael Gallup comes back. Michael Gallup's getting closer, but maybe still needs a couple weeks here. CeeDee Lamb uh, does better than Brandon Ayuk for the sit-start show. 
Uh, but yeah, this offense is just going to be so, so I, I saw, of course, Tony Pollard rips off the huge play and everyone goes crazy on Twitter. So shout out to all the Tony Pollard people out there. Uh, maybe we need to focus this conversation, Daigle, on the Bengals because they are 0-2 after losing to the Steelers, which we just talked about as abysmal, losing to the backup quarterback in the Dallas Cowboys. Now they face the New York Jets, and this is supposed to be the easy part of their calendar too, right? Because it gets a bit more difficult. Um, it feels weird watching the Bengals right now in the segments I was able to do, and I'll watch a lot more this week of this game. But Joe Burrow, we thought this offensive line was supposed to at least go from awful to average. And last week, he was sacked a handful of times, and half of those were accounted for him. Today, he sacked another six times, only throws for 199 yards on 36 passing attempts and one score. It almost felt like a necessity last year for the Bengals to be aggressive, especially when they saw, obviously, cover one or, or cover three because they had these great players out there. But it feels like they're more hesitant this year, even with potentially a better grouping out there, even if it's not coming into fruition on the sack totals. Because I think it's, to be honest with you, I think Joe Burrow is responsible for a lot of this. Like, I think he's played like crap through two games. I completely agree to take 13 sacks. I would like to hear someone like Robert Mays or Ben Solak talk about it since they know more, more about those situations than I do. But I blame Burrow for it too. And we know Bengals offense now through two games haven't averaged more than four and a half yards per play in those two contests. It's been a disaster so far for this team. And their defense, they've also played two heavy pass rush teams that you have to scheme differently in against the Steelers front seven and Cowboys front seven. At the same time, they're not doing that because Zach Taylor, as we know, has always been an overrated play caller. And so I am worried that, like you said, this first six weeks, that's the easy part of the Bengals' schedule. I can't get over that because it only gets impossibly tough from that point forward, which is why I always thought futures bets were a bad idea. I wrote in my team preview at 4 for 4 I was going to reassess their odds in December, knowing that they were probably uh, 8-9, 9-8 team if everything didn't fall the right way. And that's kind of what we're seeing right now. It's not good. Yeah, and we know through the first seven weeks, 12 weeks of last year, they relied so heavily on the running game, but then they were extremely aggressive and confident and lacked any fear when attacking down the field. Again, I haven't watched this game from start to finish. It just feels like they're playing with fear and uncertainty. And Joe Burrow, we know in week one, threw three interceptions against middle of the field, open coverage, those cover two looks. And I'm assuming the same thing happened here today. Like I'm not going to go out there, Hayden, and say like they have been solved, but they certainly have to answer to the counters that defenses have put out there. Cause they're certainly talented enough to do that. And they haven't done that through two games. Yeah. I haven't watched this game at all. I just saw that Mike, Micah Parsons was going ham on Leo Collins on the right tackle spot. Uh, so something, something to monitor. Can't wait to watch this game. Are we ever going to talk about Thursday night football on the show? Like re recap that game. Or no? If you want to go right ahead. I mean, it's Chargers Chiefs. I mean, that was, I feel like we should mention something about that. I mean, I'll, I'll start just real quick. Uh, the Austin Eckler usage was all out of control. He was getting subbed out at the goal line, eventually gets there late in the game with all these dump-off targets. Uh, man, the Chargers, the, the the Justin Herbert stuff was out of control. I was yelling at my TV to, to get the medical trainers on the field when he wasn't even able to pick up that third and one, but... Okay. What a throw. Um, and then big uh, Mike a Williams. couple things. Yeah. Big Mike Williams hit. Um, let's talk about Austin Eckler. I know that they lost, but there was prior to the quarter ending, 
either Sony Michelle or Joshua Kelly was out there for goal line work. And then we came back from a television timeout and Joshua Kelly or Sony Michelle was back and still in the lineup. So I really think Daigle that like the off season, I'm not even going to call it a narrative, but the quotes from Austin Eckler saying like, Hey, I can't have the same usage that I had last year. I think that impacted the Isaiah Spiller selection with Isaiah Spiller hurt. It's impacted bringing in Sony Michelle and trusting Joshua Kelly. Should we have major fear that the ceiling is capped for Austin Eckler as a top six selection in fantasy football? Yes, but I also think the receiving game usage that we saw on Thursday is much closer to what we'll see moving forward than week one, when I really do believe he was held back even more because they had a short turnaround and an important game on Thursday night. Uh, and so the floor is still just fine, especially in PPR leagues, but maybe we should be questioning the actual top four, top five ceiling he was being drafted as. And I want to say to the haters, Joshua Palmer, eight targets, four receptions, 30 yards and a score. Did he have that score at the end of the game when they were well down that brought him closer on the scoreboard? Yes, 100%. But it's because of the process that got us those fantasy points that he outscored every single pass catcher on the Chiefs, not named Justin Watson, because Daigle, we saw him play in all those two wide receiver sets. We saw him play as an outside wide receiver. We saw him run all the routes. And sure, he and Justin Herbert communication weren't perfect throughout the game. But again, process one out rather than just looking at the fluky touchdown quote unquote that he scored at the end because this is what we chase in these fill-in wide receiver starts completely agree there, i mean there's no fill or uh fluky touchdown when your quarterback is justin herbert <laughs> like that's part of the process exactly he i mean he also played like you said 91 percent of the snaps uh exactly. like we we knew he was going to be out there he was out there that's the whole point like we knew about mike williams target share and production whenever Keenan Allen was less than 100% or just missed the game. And that's what happened this coming this past week with a 30-plus percent target share uh, without Keenan Allen. I expect that to happen again moving forward. Um, what's interesting to talk about to me about that game was Marcus Valdez-Scanling leads the Chiefs in routes run among the receivers. He has 57 total receiving yards through two games. Judas Smith-Schuster has the second most routes among their receivers, and he has just over 80 receiving yards. Like, they are basically – getting nothing from their top wideouts. And that's kind of the issue for me moving forward. And so for redraft leagues, now I'm interested if Sky Moore was dropped anywhere, even though Justin Watson has oh. outperformed him throughout camp, everywhere else. Dude, there are shallow leagues where Sky Moore's available. And oh, now but why? Why why was Sky Moore? Like, do you think he is going to replace either MVS or Juju? Because I don't think it's a talent thing of MVS or Juju. I don't think they're doing anything wrong to take opportunities away. I just think that this is now the offense that this team runs with so much of the high value targets and important situations going to these multiple tight ends. You know, they're just doing things differently than I think that we have seen of two wide receiver sets, three wide receiver sets. Plus you have to throw Mikkel Hardman in there who, you know, mm -hmm. is the downfield threat. Is their leading receiver. Touch. Right, exactly. I, I just think we have to twist our brain a little bit for what, Andy Reid's offense is in 2022 because, and may, you might disagree from a pure play standpoint and how they've played the game. I don't think MVS and Juju are doing anything wrong. I think that they are doing exactly what the team wants them to do. So I don't think that they're going to be flipped or surpassed I, or may, maybe not, but it's an issue Skymore. that they can't get open. Like it, it's, it's clearly an issue that the it's not hurting of the, this offense. The middle of the field, it hurt them on Thursday. I, I, it hurt them I, I week two. 
and, I, and I, I don't. I first of all, I don't like you spinning it against me because I'm the guy who said don't draft Sky more. Like I thought that right. was a waste of a redraft pick. So like I don't want to become the person that also says, oh, I love Sky more. I don't like Mac receivers. Like it's whatever. But I think he has more explosiveness than those two offer, and maybe maybe could work in a little more. That's why I say stash him. That's all I'm saying. Interesting, but we haven't even seen the MVS used in the similar way like he was with the Packers. You know, like now he's more of a short, mainly intermediate area pass catcher. You know, everything is crossing routes or the middle of the field or comebacks or those types of things. I don't know. Like I understand the numbers and I understand freaking out about Juju and all that stuff. I'm just twisting my brain with what Andy Reid's doing because on the field, actual football stuff, it's electric. It's so much fun to watch. It's incredible, especially again, these multiple tight end packages and Patrick Mahomes buying it until that last possible millisecond and throwing contested balls. Um, I know that we are so used to them funneling it to Travis Kelsey and one other pass catcher. I simply don't think no matter who's going to be out there, it's all going to be funneled between Travis Kelsey and one other pass catcher. Okay. Totally fair but I think people are panicking with Juju after what we saw in week one. And then I saw like every week he's going to see eight to double digit targets. And then this past week, you know, we, we, what it, we see three targets for 10 yards. We've seen the extremes. We've seen him have success against a defense who allows everyone to have success in the slot against the Cardinals. And then we saw the chargers who Juju couldn't get open against. That's the issue here. So let's see a, a lukewarm matchup. Let's see Juju's like median range of outcomes. That's what I would like to see. Not the best and worst outcomes. Uh, Hayden, would you like to join us for a final word? If you can even hear me. I can hear you. You guys probably just can't see me. We right can't now, see so just you. The ghost. Yeah. I'm doing the, the fight on thing. USC, another big win for us, but I think I've had enough of week two. Is there any, any thoughts of that MVS or Juju conversation that you want to cap with before we get out of here? I think all of them will get there and it, they might all be better in best ball picks, but when in doubt be attached to this offense, I, I think that there's a chance that uh, sky Moore gets more and more snaps. I think that'd be coming at the expense of McCall Hardman. Um, but there, there's a chance that they all rotate, including Travis Kelsey with the other Titans. There's like eight guys that are just rotating in and that's not even including the running back. So right. uh, weekly consistency, uh, I just wouldn't expect it, but I think, at the end of the year, uh, Juju probably catches 80 passes, something like that. Uh, MVS probably has 800 yards, maybe somewhere in, with a couple sp huge spike weeks. And it'll be hard to predict, but um, I, I have a lot of faith. So I thought the running back usage was was interesting, too, because CEH was the early game hammer and then got stepped on with his knee, felt like he exited for a period of time. But in the end, CEH was by far the most productive player. I mean, just 12 touches, but over a hundred yards, Daigle, he, he 100% should be locked into your lineups each and every week, despite maybe Jarek seeing a few more snaps than he did in week one. Yeah. Jarek McKinnon is basically still their passing down back, but I think that's okay. Like if you have yeah. someone, if you have someone who's offering you a high, like a big package for CH, I wouldn't mind trading him. But if no one's sending you that, I wouldn't mind starting him as RB2. You get the starting running back guaranteed to lead the backfield and touches with Patrick Mahomes. That's okay for redraft leagues. I'll take it. All right. That's it. We're going to end this before an hour and 30. We covered every single game of the weekend on this channel. Hayden will be back with Sosa for a waivers video on Monday, but even more importantly, we need to hear from John Daigle as well. Bet spurts four for four football. As always, Daigle tell the people where they can hear from you. 
444.com. Use the promo code Dagleton for the week three waiver wire, which will be out Monday afternoon. A lot to talk about, a lot more usage metrics I will have in that column that we didn't have available to us at the time of this recording, and everything will be there. Also, the most accurate podcast. You're probably listening to that on that feed right now, but if not, if you're listening to the Underdog Show, we're all friends. The most accurate podcast is also where I record. That is linked in the description down below. Okay, again, waivers on this channel tomorrow. Stats versus film show on Tuesday. Everything, all the questions that we asked today, we'll get to the nitty and gritty and figure out exactly the type of usage that matters and what you can expect in week three. Appreciate everyone tuning in. Up the villa. We will talk to y'all soon. Take care.